You're listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with practitioners, experts, and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. Today on the Move to Value podcast, we have the first in a series of conversations between One Health co-CEOs, Dr. Ehab Shirawi and Dr. David Cook, and Chess Health Solutions President, Dr. Yates Lennon, who talk about a for-all philosophy of practicing medicine and the necessary connection between the patient and provider that benefits both. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Welcome to the Move to Value podcast. We are glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Good. Yeah, thank you. Good, good to have you. Um, let's start and go back in time a little bit. I would love for you to spend a little bit of time telling us what caused you to want to go into um, the medical field and to p- become physicians. Uh, Dr. Shirawi, why don't we start yeah, with you? Yeah, I'll start. Yeah. So that could be a 20-minute conversation. It could be a three-hour <laughs> conversation, but I'll try and make it even smaller than that. Um, you know, I came from a medical family. So my dad uh, immigrated here from Egypt on a Fulbright scholarship. And, you know, I was in the, in the household, and my mom was a dentist, um, and I had multiple family members that were in the medical field. So I was always drawn to it, you know, but never forced into it. I think that's, that's really important. But I think when you start thinking about the medical field as your career, um, I think it's really important. I think it drove all of us or most people that do it. You got to want to help people. You know, and I feel like that's something that was stuck with me for a long time. So I can I cannot remember the time where I didn't think I was going to be a doctor. Even in the fifth grade, sixth grade, I can remember that. Um, and it was really about that drive, you know, to say, look, you know, how, how can you make the biggest impact um, in your life? And boy, I'll tell you, it's an admirable thing to think about improving, being there for the people uh, when they, when they need you the most and that's in their healthcare. Um, and then just to, to conclude on it, I never thought in the world I'd be an OBGYN and Yates, you know, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Lennon, we can relate to that. I know that. Um, and so seeing that ability to take care of, um, of people from literally the time that they're in their childbearing years, even before that to the time that they're in their twilight years was very attractive to me, uh, to do that. And then, um, Really, I enjoyed the fact of being able to take care of people throughout their healthcare journey, but also have the procedure type stuff that that, that kind of excited me right. at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, as a fellow OBGYN, I think OBGYN is the perfect balance of primary care and surgery. Yeah. So, Dr. Cook, what about you? Uh, a little bit different background. I was the first on my dad's side of the family to go to college, and but yet, same, I, I, I do know Dr. Shirawi's family, and they're the same ilk. Um, and that and, and Lynn and I can only imagine yours is as well. Um, from as small as I was, I could remember them giving back to humanity, mm-hmm. giving back to others. In fact, one of the things my dad once told me is the only thing you can take when you leave here is what you gave away while you were here. And it's better to give that to other people than take it yourself. Right. And um, so I learned from them about um, uh, several things, I believe, that, that brought me into medicine. One was this thirst for knowledge and understanding science and, and you know, bettering myself that way. The other was how can you reduce suffering with those around you um, in multiple ways? And 
as I went into college, I was thinking, mm, should I be a veterinarian? Because I did do a lot of veterinarian work when I was, uh, I worked for a vet when I was a kid. Um, and so I went to NC State, and as I was there, I met lots of unique individuals, but I had uh, the, the privilege of spending a summer with a, a family physician in the mountains near Asheville for about two weeks, and it was, it was life-changing. I saw this family physician doing things, giving back to the community, um, taking care of people for 30 years, knowing multiple generations of, of individuals, and really making an impact, not only on the individual that they had there, but the family and the community. And uh, I really sat with that for a while while I was at school. And I think by the time I was a junior, I decided, yep, that's what I'm going to be. Wow. That's really uh, very interesting. And I already have a better insight into some of the things I've heard you all say over the last few months. Um, well, let's jump forward now and tell us a little bit about the One Health story. Um, Dr. Cook, I'll start with you. Okay. We'll even go back farther than that. So okay. the One Health story really started way back. Uh, this is my 30th year in practice as a family physician. Um, started in 1993, in August of 1993. Um, lucky enough back then to meet people like Don Berwick, Brent James, and others who are really uh, conceptualizing a different kind of health care, a more broadened health care, more holistic health care, a preventative health care, a cost-reductive health care and began to gravitate toward people like that. I was lucky enough, and I'll let Dr. Shrowey tell you the story because he tells it much better than me. Uh, in 2004, I got to meet Ehab and his group of OBGYNs. I had a small practice, well, not small, but about 12 to 14 doctors at that time that we had collected together and were independent, really trying to figure out how to do healthcare right. How, how do you take care of the individual? How do you take care of their family? How do you, uh, as I used to say all the time, you, you know, if I'm in a room with a lot of different doctors and ministers, how do you put the patient in the middle or the individual in the middle and, and, and take your ego and your wallet, uh, your greed, and other things, put it outside, put compassion, passion, and science around the patient and do the right thing for, for the individual. And it was rare, I have to say this, it was rare at that time to meet others, I would say as crazy as me thinking the way I thought, until one day I met Dr. Shrowey in his group who were moving into the neighborhood to, to become part of the hospital uh, in Charlotte and around Huntersville. Um, and it was at that moment in time, I knew there were other kindred spirits who really wanted to do the right thing, almost always wanted to do the right thing and the, for the right reasons in the right way. And I know that sounds really altruistic and sort of over the top, but it wasn't. It's what we we're about. I'd say we've always been about, uh, about the mission and the, and the vision. I think we saw together, um, both as independent physicians, physicians as part of a big practice, physicians as part of a big health system, the erosion of what we found sacred in healthcare, which was that doctor-patient relationship, always putting first things first, the right thing first, um, really looking at every angle about how to do things that were best for the patient. Um, we pushed within systems that we were in to try to make a difference. Um, over the years, definitely around 2010 and 2013, 2014 were pivotal years for us. We had tried some real value work within the organization we were in, um, organizing physicians to lower cost, improve quality, uh, improve the human experience. We found it almost fighting against um, traffic, like going backwards. We were not only looked at as if we were pariahs, um, but we really, really were within that system. 
Um, and Dr. Shirawi says this one thing well, and I'm going to steal this from him. He says, you know, we always heard it was good to be disruptors until you actually disrupt. And once you disrupt, you're not looked at the same ever again, even if it's responsible disruption. Um, and so we were uh, in, in the, the game to make a change and do things differently. And over the past decade, especially the past five years, we found ourselves needing to make a big difference. At almost whatever cost it was to us personally, we needed to make a difference so that we could save what we felt like, save the profession for those that would follow, both in OBGYN, internal medicine, pediatrics, and family medicine. We're very unapologetically disruptive and very unapologetically primary care. Um, and we felt like we needed to build another ship. So we set sail together here about four years ago, away from the other system, went independent for a while, and then we're able to partner with Advocate to do what we're doing now, which we can talk about more in a minute. But I'll, I'll toss it back over to Dr. Shrawi to let him give his take on that. Yeah, it was a cold December now, I'm joking. Walking uphill both ways. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, our journeys were, were somewhat in parallel. You know, when you, when you do your residency, you're in this sacred place, you know, in residency when you're training and, and you're in a bubble. And I was fortunate enough to train at University of Florida with some of the best people to be in a bubble with that were talking about evidence-based medicine and talking about reduction in total cost of care before those words were even the sexy words that they are now, you know, in our field. And so you came out idealistic, and I think I'm speaking for many physicians, right? You come out I very idealistic, you know, when you come out of, of, of your residency training. Then you get into the real world. And I, I dropped right into Atlanta, Georgia, which was maybe the epicenter of uh, a lot of things that weren't exactly like they were in residency. I made my way here due to um, the ability to join people that I trained with, which is unique. So I was able to join an OBGYN group where it consisted of everybody from the University of Florida where I trained at at, at the time. And, 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 and I, I got to admit, at the time, I was kind of lost because I felt like the idealistic approach to care, which, which really should be everything we've been talking about, just got muddled with all the noise that's, that's, that, 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 that unfortunately, well, that was, golly, it's a long time, 25 years ago. Uh, the, the noise is still here, you know, it's still here. So I, I stumbled upon this fellow that they said you should meet. So we met at a restaurant called Toast, which now is in 37 states, I think. But at that time, it was the first one. It's a creaky little place with, I was probably bigger than the place itself, you know, but we walk in there <laughs> and I see this, you know, blue-eyed, blonde-haired fella. And he's talking a language that I really enjoyed listening to. I said, man, that is exactly what we are looking for to, to be able to do. And using words back then, that again, now are commonplace. It's everything that we talk about. So we decided to set on a journey together. You know, that was in 2004, 2003, 2004. Um, and what we were able to do was to grow both our practices um, based on what I call a chassis of non-negotiables, which were all centered on what's the best for the patient and the communities that we serve until we felt like we couldn't commit to that in the environment we were in because of outside forces, not laying blame to anybody, just the way healthcare is. And so we took a leap of faith and, and then, you know, here we are with One Health. Um, I'll steal Dr. Cook's comment that, you know, healthcare is not a zero-sum game. If it is, all you do is create tribalistic approaches, you create transactional approaches and those things. So it was very important for us not to discount all the most important elements of the healthcare uh, journey uh, in a health system is a big one. And so we're proud of what we've been able to do with One Health, this partnership that we've done, not only partnership with Advocate, but also partnership with our chess partners. 
uh, to really move the needle. Uh, and, and listen, when you're disruptive, it is an upward, it's, you're going, uh, you got headwinds and you're going right. upstream. That would be the definition of, ups, of, of disruption. But I tell my team all the time until, and I think they're tired of hearing it, but I'd say it all the time is that the tension is the work. And the tension is the work at the end of that tension we're going to make differences and, and we have. And, and so that, that's what really what One Health was, was built on. Your mission statement is that, that you are a value-based primary care platform that enhances the patient experience, improves the health of individuals and populations, and reduces medical cost with a laser focus on provider wellness and care for all. So talk to us a little bit about provider wellness. So your introduction, your introductory comments were actually very insightful and I think provide some insight into this. But talk to us about um, provider wellness, why that's so important, and what uh, steps are you taking to try to ensure that your providers find joy in the practice of medicine, which seems to be lacking today. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to start? I'll start with, with that. And um you know, there's three physicians here talking to each other right now. And so, so um, we've been through, um, I'm not gonna say we're old, but we're, you know, we're OGs. Yeah. So all of us would probably not be in any way surprised to describe our careers that there's burnt, there was burnout involved in that. So physician burnout is is very real. Um, We've experienced it. Um, We spent the last, I would say, six to seven years seeing a lot of people talk about this subject. There's a lot of data. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's not something that just, yeah, you say burnout. No, there's right. a lot of data to support it. And we actually know the big reasons why based on that data. So what I would say is the good news is we're in an acknowledgement phase in healthcare. Okay, but I think the bad news is there are a lot of people talking about it, but there's not a whole lot of solutions to that. Um, there are all kind of people that made careers building on this concept of, of, of provider burnout. Um, and we have to take it a step further. So we've got to actually change the environment. So when we talked about One Health and we talk about, and I think the mission statement says it, there's a lot of things in that mission statement, none more important than the other. All important, but none more important than the other. So in order to be laser focused and take care of a for all mission, you got to have providers that are happy, that want to wake up and come to work happy. So we spend a lot of intentional time on trying to understand how do we take, and I'm going to use OB-GYN again because I'm OB-GYN, how do you take a staggering statistic where at any given time, and more in female than male, I'll say, and maybe because the males don't admit it, okay, that, that could be part of it, but that at any snapshot, 68% of OB-GYNs will describe themselves as burned out. In any industry, that's an epidemic, okay? Yep. But in healthcare, we take it on the burden as providers and physicians. Now, we good news is we... We do the best we can to still take good care of people, but then everything else suffers. So we're very, very focused on how do we create environments, which means giving people the, the, the autonomy and the latitude to massage their schedules in a way that allows them to have work-life balance. Because one of those things that is the number one reason for burnout is administrative overbearing, an overbearing administrative burden on providers. So bringing them back into the equation of decision-making to deliver. So One Health is, and you know, we could spend a lot of time and uh, talk about examples of what we've done. Are we there yet? No. Are we ever going to get exactly there? M- maybe not. But I, I'm a big believer that the journey itself 
is 90% of, 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 of a solution to doing that. Right. Yeah. And you've got your providers engaged and they know you're listening. Yeah. Which yeah, is critical. Which is critical. Dr. Cook. You know, one thing I, I, we've always said, we've seen, you know, over the years, so many physicians say they would never tell their kids to go into medicine, that they would never do it themselves again. And to me, that was so, so heartbreaking. I've loved every single day I've been a physician. I feel like I'm honored and blessed and what a gift it is. And I started thinking about why would I feel this way? And I would tell my, none of my kids went into medicine, but I would tell them all to do it. Um, and others not feel this way. And I know that Dr. Sharawi and his group feels that way. And most of the physicians I'm, I'm with it at One Health feel that way. And it's not that they're, you know, I see these things about resilience. Doctors need to be more resilient. Mm-hmm. There's nobody more resilient than a physician. Enough. Right. They have to go through undergrad in a cutthroat way. They've got to join, get into medical school and, and fight their way through that. They've got to get into residency. And there's nothing more tough than residency. And then we say they need to be more, more resilient. What they need is what Dr. Sharawi is speaking of. They need autonomy. They need to be the quarterback, if not the owner of the team, not the water boy or the running back for others. And they, we don't need to put them through a, 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 a several-day training of resilience, then put them right back in the hostile fire and say, you need to accept that. We need to help physicians regain that joy of medicine through autonomy, ability to change and affect the environment they're in, and most importantly, be that advocate for the patient that they want to be. And we've not been able to do that in medicine or replicate that many times because of so many factors, some self-imposed, some imposed by the outside world. We've allowed a doc to become more of a widget in a system that works nine to five and gets burnt out very quickly than a professional um, advocate for the, the individual. So right. I, I believe we've, we've got to a really good medium in this, a journey getting to a place where we can provide that in perpetuity for our docs. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I think you're you're spot on. Let's talk a little bit about um, the for all part of your mission statement and and patients in particular. Thinking about the doctor patient relationship, I think that's something that in the, our world of taking laptops in the room and looking at a an EMR, and I just think patients feel disconnected from their physician and their provider because of all of the tech that is introduced into the exam room, which leads to burnout for physicians, I think, but it's also frustrating for patients. Yes. Yeah, so first, the for all mission. Yeah. And, and, and I'll say this, this is why um, Dr. Shirawi, myself and our partners were hit right from the beginning. We're for all. Okay, and, and for all doesn't mean uh, Band-Aid care, patchwork care, uh, or even delineation of who a human being is based on how they pay for health care. Um, we're all the same. We believe anyone in our community needs equal access to concierge medicine. Okay, phenomenal medicine. So we, we've spent our whole career um, making sure that that's part of the ilk of everybody we're with. You cannot judge an individual by based on how they pay. You can't deny care based on how they pay. You have to be accessible to everyone equally. So I want to make sure that that, that is a cornerstone and a foundation of who we are. It's one of our eight pillars that will never not satisfy. Um, you know, but then the other part of that question is how do you treat individuals like individuals in a world of high tech and digital and, and everything else? 
Well, I often get residents, and I want to teach residents, and, and there's this one thing I'd always ask them. I said, the most important thing that, that you need to tell me about Mrs. Smith, you can tell me pretty quickly. Go in there and, and do what you need to do and come back and tell me that most important thing. And the residents or medical students would go in there, and they'd spend 30 minutes. They would spend most of the time in the computer and always tell, you know, individuals, no one's in the computer. They're sitting in front of you, <laughs> right. right? And uh, they'd come back, and they'd give me a litany of things that they got out of Epic or Cerner or Allscripts, none of which... None of which were what I was looking for. I'd say, go back in and spend 15 minutes. You can get it in 15 minutes. They go back in, come back out. Still, they wouldn't have it. I'd say, you can go in in 30 seconds and get what I need. They said, in 30 seconds? So they would come, go in. Most of them would come out, and I'd say, one in 100 would give me sort of close to the answer. Now, what I'm asking for is, what is the color of the patient's eyes? It was rare that anybody ever looked into the eyes of the patients long enough or intently enough to give me that. Now, I would tell them, if you don't do that, you can do an algorithm of care, you can treat their blood pressure, you can treat certain things, but to really get to their soul and cure them and become an advocate for them for, for life, you got to be able to stop the world and look in their eyes and connect with them. One of the fears I have in healthcare is we're about a generation away from that going away. Um, not only is it the For All mission long gone because everybody's taking their sliver of health care and taking care of it and sending it away. And we actually marginalize individuals or exclude them from care and somehow think that that's right. But we are training a group of physicians to be nine to five uh, providers. And often, not always, often, most of the time docs come out, they really are energized, but the, whether it's the EHR, whether it's the litany of lists they got to perform whether it's the time frame they have to see the patient um, or whatever, whatever is bounding them to something that, that doesn't make what I call real sense, they're disconnected from their patient. I've been to the doctor, and I've looked at my doctor after being there. I said, hey, you never looked at me. <laughs> you just looked at the computer yeah. the whole time. I'm yeah. over here. So what we really want to be able to do for our physicians, and this is some of the things you know we've talked to you about in chess right. and, and others, is... There's a lot of digital products that are built to put on top of the broken system, which actually make it a somewhat more difficult for the, the provider to take care of everyone and to take care of everyone well. What we want to do, and you'll hear more of us say more about modern primary care, is build this model that robustly connects the individual with the, the provider and makes it so that it's a sacred relationship that can be really um, made better. And, and that can't be done with a lot of the things we're doing now. Definitely, it can't be done if you're, you're, you're making the primary care physician, the OBGYN, the widget in the game, because they sort of begin to fill a role that they can't get out of. Yeah. It's a tough act to follow. Anything you is, want yeah. to add, Dr. Yeah, no, that's, you know, it's too bad he's not passionate about that. I know, that's it subject. is. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's, you know, the human connection is the key to everything. And the danger that we have um, is to overshoot all the technology, and diminish that. And, 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 and the other thing is episodic care is, is one of the biggest problems in an, what I would call an unsustainable model uh, that we're in. So you also run the risk of creating an environment like David's talking about where you diminish the ability to take care of the holistic human being, uh, which is so much more than the snapshot in the room, um, and you start doing more episodic-type care, which um, only leads to fragmentation, to lack of um, identification of things that can be prevented so that when they're four, I tell people all the time, we're doing this to you at 40 so you don't, so you can walk at 80. Mm -hmm. 
you know, do things that you want to do at 80. So um, those are things that I think concern all of us here in this conversation. And we need to be part of the decision making on how to right size that and make it right. And I think that's critical. That's what I would add. Well, let me just take this opportunity to say thank you, Dr. Shirawi, Dr. Cook. It's been great talking to you this afternoon, hearing more about your passion for provider wellness and how you're trying to address that. I think your for all mission is, uh, I hate to use the word commendable, it sounds understated, but uh, again, I'm inspired by the work you guys are doing and um, happy to be a part of it as Chess Health Solutions. So look forward to connecting with you next time. We are honored to be here. Yeah, Glad appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. This is the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you would like more information about this and other episodes, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to check out all of the available resources. If you're interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can sign up for our email notifications or subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across your networks and leave a rating or review. Thanks for listening.